I'm ready. I would like to tell you about this, and here's why. Maybe you don't care about why, but I would like to tell you about it. (laughs) You can tell me why. Hello, friends. For this inaugural episode of And Thereby Hangs a Tale, let's get the introductions out of the way first. I'm Adam. I'll be presenting you with a new story each and every month that I happen to find interesting. And since we're debuting on Halloween, I suppose that makes me something of a cryptkeeper figure, which incidentally has always been a lifelong goal. Now, who do we have on the horn this month? This is Jen Reeves. I used to write sketch comedy with Jen Reeves once upon a time. She's also a copywriter, which is how she got the job she's going to tell us about. She's going to tell us about the best thing about the job, the worst thing about the job, and the most embarrassing thing about the job, and not in that order. But first, let's play a game. Say you're a small business owner, and a writer from the Globe and Mail reaches out to you. Finally! Validation! The writer says they want to do a profile for you in the Globe. Ah, the prestige. Only glowing reviews about these companies. They were just called profiles. In order to do so, they're going to need ad support. Remember, print is dead. It's not going to come from you. The business that's contacted does not pay a cent. I mean, that'd be an advertorial. That'd be unethical. However, it is totally fine, and it would be super great if they could get a list of all of your vendors, all the people and businesses that your business is in business with. Sounds confusing? I'll break that down. Essentially, for any business that you run, there are the people who give you supplies. You buy computers. You buy other kinds of electronics. You buy piping. You buy building equipment. That's your vendors. And the Globe and Mail, well, they're pretty legit. Surely they're not going to do anything strange with that list of vendors, so you give it to them. So really, they're looking to their vendors to buy the ad that's placed alongside their article. Basically, they're asking their vendors not to cock block them. And some time passes by, some phone calls are made, looks like you've got enough ad support from all the friends that you've made in the business community. And we can finally run that profile. It happens all the time. We like we even would get ads sometimes from like Oreo or like Petro Canada. You're interviewed and then you just wait patiently, ever so patiently, for your feature in that upcoming Globe and Mail. And you go to the newsstand, you visit every day, and the damn thing never comes out. You do a little digging, you call your contacts, and you say, isn't that ever going to run? You're furious. And you find out, well, it already has. You then discover, oh no, I was interviewed by the Globe and Mail, but this magazine actually spells it M-A-L-E. And it's uh, it's not really a magazine, it's an online-only publication. Oh, and uh, it uh, isn't a blog either, it's uh, it's available in a PDF that you can only download from the website at a certain link. P.S. The PDF requires specific software that may or may not open on your computer. This is the situation that Jen Reeves found herself in, working for a magazine just like this. There's places like this still in business today, including the one that uh, she's telling us about. However, for legal reasons, we can't name it. So let's just say uh, she worked for a magazine called McLean's, but it was spelled M-C-L-E-E-E-E-E-N-Z. But to fill us in with the details, here's Jen. the titles of these magazines are like industry media business in canada like very vague 
businessy things. Like it's no, nothing is really all that specific. It's fly by night, except it's they, these people have offices and business cards. Well, wait, 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 wait. One business card. We used to have one business card that we would all take around, and it only had <laughs> the boss's name on it and phone number and email. But he was too cheap to actually get us all business cards. So he would just be like, use mine. And he would have like hundreds printed. And we would just go around with our one business card. Not so fast, Jen. I happen to have your resume right here. Hmm. Nice font choices, by the way. Sans serif. And according to this, your job title was editor? I was writing, but I was given the, the title of editor. So they were huge on titles. And this is like part of making everybody look more official. It's like part of making the company look bigger. It's And also to give people an idea that they're dealing with somebody on a high, <laughs> just like lowly writer should have been my job title. But they're like, no, you're the editor. You're the editor. So every time you talk to someone, say that you're the editor. And it gives people this idea like, oh, I'm dealing right with the magazine's editor. Oh, my God. Layers upon layers of deception. You're a writer masquerading as an editor for a PDF masquerading as a famous and well-regarded Canadian publication seeking ads and ad money masquerading as a profile piece in said major Canadian publication. How much did any of these people know about this? Like any of the businesses you contacted? Weren't they aware? My job was to call people up and interview them. All of this, these like business conversations and ad conversations had happened prior to my calling people. But but because I was the one who was interviewing, say the whatever, like some some big CEO, they would call me and be like, where is it? And I would be like, it's digital only. And people, I had, I had people calling me on my personal number demanding to know why I was wasting their time. And yeah, it was really hairy. It didn't happen to me as much as it happened to the sales guys. They got called all the time, like swearing and people threatening them. And yeah, there was a there's a lot of like weird, like I remember one guy saying like, I hope your mother dies. And I knew that he said, I hope your mother dies because I walked by a sales guy who's like, my mother's already dead, sir. <laughs> How often was that comment made over the phone? Someone just called me and said, I'm sorry, sir. My mother's already dead. <laughs> I only heard that once, but I I heard like please lower your voice, sir. <laughs> a lot. That was a lot. Just people feeling deceived because really they were, or they would they would finally, you know, they they would basically be sold this idea, but they wouldn't look into it. And then these businesses whom you got all the vendor information from realize, oh, no. This is a circus, and I gave you my vendor's numbers, and you harassed them for money, and now they're mad at me, and this is awkward now, and you've wrecked our relationship, all for this a shitty piece of nothing that no one was going to read, that was buried in just pages and pages and pages of poorly designed PDF. <laughs> okay, so you're on the payroll of a con game like this, Jen. And sure enough, eight hours of your day every day is a lie. But lots of people live a lie. What's so bad about this job aside from that? So working at this job was really 
terrible. And it was so terrible that I thought I should actually document it. And so I actually made a website called whyweneedhr.com, which is now whyweneedhr.wordpress.com because I stopped paying for the um, <laughs> website name. This place was just absolutely horrible to work at. So in addition to the business being shady, the environment was likewise skeezy and shady. And this was all led up by the president of the company. He could never get in trouble. He didn't have a superior. So he would lead, he was sort of the ringleader. He would comment on our clothes all the time, ask us if we could, he could grab our breasts. Rotten. When you're in a position when somebody is like, in real time, sexually harassing you, you kind of have two choices. You can be the person who reacts like you want to, which is to be repulsed and recoil and, you know, yell and be like, fuck you. But then you're the bitch. Way to take it too far, woman who is mad. So I, you know, it's, it's a really tight line because the other, dis like, yeah, the other choice that women have to make is just sort of like, uh, I'm just, I'll be, I'll treat it like a joke. <laughs> Yikes. What did you choose? So when I learned I couldn't be the person who just yells and takes a stand, it was when I yelled and took a stand after, um, my boss got all the men together and asked them to rate the women in order of fuckability. <laughs> I don't even know where I landed on the list. The thing is, it was one of those, like, you know, you're always curious. You're like, where did I land on that? But on the other hand, you're like, I wouldn't fuck anyone here. I don't want to be number one. On the other hand, I certainly don't want to be at the end. It was, it was a very complicated feeling. But anyways, I didn't, I didn't see the list, but um, I was told it existed because the only female salesperson ran into the editorial room, which was like, it was the place where all of the other women were. A woman receptionist, a woman salesperson, and the rest of the women were writers. And so she ran into the writer's room and she was like, oh, we should totally do the same thing. Let's list the guys in order of, you know, hottest and most screwable. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing that <laughs> for so many reasons. So when I heard of this, I wrote the president... Um, a, a huge email being like, listen, like, this is absolutely ridiculous and I won't stand for it. And I will not be sort of the target of anybody's harassment here. And like, basically, I, I, I blew the whistle. When you say president, you're not referring to then president of the United States, Barack Obama, though he does enter the story later. Stay tuned. You're referring to the person who owns this and similar publications. Then I was punished. So the editor, so my boss, the global editor, um, on Monday, who on Friday, she was with me. She was like, yeah, you know, this, is, this isn't okay. But on Monday, she was like, you know, Michael is really upset with what you've done. The global editor being the supervisor of copy for the magazine and someone you would respond to directly. But Michael being the president being the person who owns the company and oversees everything and has no one to answer to. I remember he wouldn't talk to me for weeks. He wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't answer my questions. He just, he pretended I didn't exist. 
Word gets to the president, and Michael is upset. He's not upset because you called him out on his behavior. There's a different issue. The real issue was not what you complained about, but that you hurt your boss's feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was such a peacock. He couldn't take any dissent, any dissent, and he, but it, which made him so vulnerable to it. Isn't that like you know? In your experience, haven't you found that to be the case with uh, all peacocks? Yeah. And for those playing at home, that's easily the worst thing about the job. Now, for the best, it did have an unexpected side benefit. We would, I would go to uh, press conferences sometimes, like real legit business press conferences. So one time I went to this Saskatchewan, I think we, I ended up talking to the premier. I think I talked to Brad Wall at one point. Hmm. You can tell how important to me that was. Anyway. (laughs) And then they're like, oh, right this way, right this way. So they seat me at this table with a whole bunch of other media who had these like big telephoto lenses and like just legit equipment that the average journalist would have. Now, I was unequipped to go to these legit press conferences in that I was given like a point and shoot Canon digital camera that made noises as you turn it on like and (laughs) Every time you press the button to take a picture, it would be like, click, click. All right, so we've covered the worst, the sexual harassment, and the humiliating aspect of having no real solid equipment for these press conferences. But does this job ever peak? Is there anything good? It did peak, and it peaked actually at the G20, which was a really, it was a big deal. The G20? What? Despite writing for the fake magazine, you don't write for a real one. It was weird because there was something about, like, my boss's personality or, like, his sense of self that he wanted to think that he was sending writers out to these things. And, oh, you needed something expense? That's okay. Because I think it feeded into his own notion that this was a real magazine. Because every once in a while, I would sort of remind him that it wasn't, and that would hurt his feelings. (laughs) So I think, like, this sort of thing, like, helped him feel like, you know, no, maybe I'm not a scuzz. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe this is real. It was like they would do real things, but badly mm-hmm. and in, in the most unprofessional and humiliating way. And a lot of it was just to say they went. And it was just mortifying. Like, everything <laughs> that we went to was mortifying. <laughs> but this is the magazine that we've been referring to as McLean's, but with three E's and a Z, or alternately, at the beginning of the program, the Globe and Human Mail. So, for the G20, one question remains. So how do you get it? Somebody had said, you should go to that. And I was like, okay. And I had I wasn't watching the news on the outside, and that was the day when, like, oh, the cop car is burning on Bay Street or whatever. I was like, this feels like a waste of money to me. Because <laughs> it was just, it was, the route to get to the convention center was, I don't know, let's say 10 minutes. But in the 10 minutes, it's like, that's a lot of people to be lined both sides on a street. And then we get into the building walk down like these like they put us in a waiting room blah 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 we walked down this hall again lined both sides anyways i saw uh stephen harper speak speaking of wastes of money also like harper i didn't care did you ask him anything 
No. <laughs> well, what was I supposed to say? Exactly. <laughs> Hi. Our audience has some tough questions for you, mister. <laughs> Who would you have sex with in your cabinet? Um, but I did see Obama speak, and you know it was weird? Oh, oh, and I did have my camera, like my stupid Canon camera. But I figured out at that point how to turn off the sound. <laughs> I read the manual because I was so embarrassed. But yeah, so I saw Obama speak and nobody, like, there were so many of us that I went completely unnoticed. Like, no one was like, who's that person without a real camera? Because um, there, there were enough journalists there that they're, like, journalists were coming with photographers. So the photographers were lined up in a certain row and the journalists were kind of at the front. It was fine that I didn't have, like, my big camera out because... Other people were doing that in the back. And people would have assumed I brought my own photographer, which I did not. <laughs> you know what's weird? Is that I remember, I'll always remember, you know, let's say he was like, Barack Obama's probably 15 feet away. And there were people, like professional media people in the aisles doing selfies. Just what? discreetly, like turning like their backs to Obama, like, and then getting their phones out and like getting the, like him in the shot and then being like pointing to him with big grins being like hey I'm with them like look who I'm with and I was like you can't be more unprofessional than that well you could if you were if if your cell phone went Bzzz. <laughs> it was the next month I think that I quit it was it was a really strange experience it was I felt like a real professional, and then I remembered that I wasn't. <laughs> but even though I wasn't a real professional, I still got the experience of a real professional, and that was pretty interesting. Especially since the G20, as it turns out, was like a big shit show. And I got to kind of be like, hey, I was downtown for I got to go to that shit show. <laughs> I saw like thousands of police officers literally doing nothing, but they were there. I'd like to have Jen leave us with a Jerry Springer-esque final thought. So, I must ask the question. At the risk of sounding like I'm buying into all that hope hype from so long ago, Jen, what was it like being, like, a few feet away from Barack Obama? When I was at the G20, I actually remember anticipating him coming out and being like, wow. And then he comes out and, like, he's like, you know not a couple of feet away, several feet away, but so close. And just being like, yeah, I guess you're just, I guess you're just, a, I guess you're just a dude. Like, you're just like, man. And he was like, he said like nice things or blah, 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 economy, blah, 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 trade, blah, blah, blah. This, these are our goals. But it, he wasn't like, it wasn't a Ted talk. I, I didn't leave being like, you know what? I should be president. <laughs> Jen Reeves, thank you so much for coming out. You can find her relic of a blog at whyweneedhr.wordpress.com. It's a time capsule of everything that went down and went wrong at her former place of employ that we've been talking about today on the very first episode of And Thereby Hangs a Tale, which, I should point out, is a production of the Megaphonic Podcast Network. You can find out about this show, including notes for this episode of And Thereby Hangs a Tale, as well as other shows, such as This Is Your Mixtape, You're Not Funny, and It's Just a Show, all at megaphonic.fm. We'll be back in a month with a brand new story for And Thereby Hangs a Tale, where I'm going to find out just exactly what it's like to be put into a coma. No, it's not a boring story. It's about comas. 
You won't be bored. I wasn't. Therefore, you won't. I'm the surrogate audience. This podcast should have ended seconds ago. Goodbye. Goodbye.